Father, you know the needs that are here this morning. When we consider the Hamakiad, we see it in the macro sense, what's happening in the world. But we also see it in the micro sense, in the way in which the Hamakiad has been busy at work in our lives. And sometimes we take those disappointments of life where everything seems to be blocked. And then you turn that into such an extraordinary picture. Where all of a sudden the painting explodes with color. And then we see, ah, there's purpose in the way in which that hand of God is at work. We see it personally. We see it globally. And we want to see it Father, with that in mind, as we're praying, we that you would again warm these hearts, you would engage these minds, you shape these wills. We're here now again to see Jesus, we can only be. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there was a famous painting called The Helping Hand. I think they show that on the screen. And it appeared in schools throughout the nation. It was shown first in France in 1881. The painter's name is Rayon. I want you to look carefully at this painting known as the hand of the helping hand here and start off by noticing what that little girl, is it her grandpa? What they share in common. Now, the waters, they seem to be tranquil, don't they? They share the water. Also share the same boat. And so small in comparison to the expanse of the waters. But they also share the same oar. Fascinating. But now I want you to also notice not only the similarities, but the differences. I want you to notice the facial expressions. Now Hers looks like uh, an expression of panic. Am I in charge of this thing? And she is fixated. And you can see the, the concern on her face, the facial expression. Notice his face. I get the impression that this man has been in these waters before. There's a sense of assurance, a sense of calm that distinguishes his facial features. Not only the look you see of the face, I also want you to notice the direction of the eyes. You know, sometimes when people are in a semi-panic state, their eyes become fixated and look at birds. I mean, they are glued as to what's, what's straight ahead of them. But you see, this man is a leader in his action boat. He knows what's ahead, but he's equally concerned with what's happening, not ahead of the boat, but within this boat. And he, his eyes are shifting downward towards her. There's care here. There's love here. There's, there's compassion here within this boat. But I also want you to notice the hands. Both hands are on the same oar.
Now, it could very well be that she thinks she is steering this boat. But what this wise man is doing is empowering her and equipping her to understand the grip, the feel, the oar in relationship to the waters. And in the process of her gaining a greater and greater understanding of this hands-on experience, the reality is it's his hands that are directing this boat. See what's happening at this point, and you and I look very carefully at this painting. It's that this man understands that he will take her hands, and it's her hands that will be used to apply a sense of understanding, strength, and ability. But it will be his hands that will supply the strength and the ability. It's the matching of the hands. Now, as you look very carefully at that target text in Nehemiah chapter 2, in particular verse 18, it's the matching of the hands. Nehemiah has talked about the hand of God being upon him, and he talks about this being good. On the other hand, you find the hands of the people who in unison now uh, in one accord, say, will build, and in the process, they apply their hands to what's described here as the good work, what they share in common is the good, what they share in common is the idea of the hands. But you see, one set of hands is used for the sense here, if you will, of how something must apply. But on the other hand, when it comes to God's hands, God supplies, while God's people what I want to do with you, with that painting in mind of the helping hand, which has, has been viewed by millions throughout the years since it showed itself up in 1881, is to draw three significant ways here in which God's hand is at work equipping the people to do what at this point they might not even be fully able to anticipate doing because, you see, there are only 40-some thousand in Jerusalem at that point. And they couldn't envision the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands that will eventually be dependent upon that facility where the walls will guard, you see, the temple so that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem to die in our place for our sins. But you see, you're going to have to get beyond Isaac and take insight and then bring into account forces connect the now to the not yet in life when you do visionary work where there's all hands on deck. I want to draw out three ways in which God is operative here in his use of the hand. And the first is found in 11 through 16, that in the convergence here of ministry and facility, where the temple provided the ministry and the walls would provide the facility, I want you to know, first of all, God's hand and the needs, the needs here that are assessed. Oh, no. In verse 11, Nehemiah has arrived on the scene, and perhaps the general population views him as a bit of an outsider in these days. You see, he's been working with the king, and now he is here in Jerusalem, and notice how this begins to unfold. The very first 
individual. As he records his experience, he says, and I went to Jerusalem. I was there three days. This is a tireless, not a tired, a tireless worker who believes. Because it says in the next verse, when I arose in the night, visionaries are often like that. God puts something within their heart and God begins with the internal and works itself out in the external. You notice that in Friday night's presentation today, where as I've mentioned, in 14 years, Marge and Blake had a, a tremendous sense of what God was laying upon her heart. And then it got worked out and the internal became the external. When Nehemiah has now arisen in the night, here, and I told no one what my God had put into me, put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. It's in his heart right now, not on his lips, but on his heart. He's not yet communicating. You see, he's going to work in the realm of concentric circles of communication like Jesus did with the twelve before he would publicize his ministry to countless thousands upon thousands of people. But you start with an idea of something small, and you begin to develop it from the inside out. I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. It may be revealed, but right now it's concealed. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rose. So to reemphasize now the privacy, the privacy of, of the experience, I went out by night, he said. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. I've been there personally, walked around, saw what dung gate is in Jerusalem back in October, and he inspects the walls of Jerusalem. In other words, before there be high levels of communication, there was a high intensive level of evaluation. And I thought about that in the tirelessness, not the tired heart, but the tireless effort, say, of an editor. search for a filament that would stand the stress of the electric current. Casually picking up a bit of a lamp wax, he mixed it with tar, wrote it in red. Thought occurred, why not try a carbonized calcium fiber? And so for five hours he worked, but it broke just before he would remove the mold. Two spools of thread were used. At last, the strain emerged, only to be ruined when trying to place it in a glass tube. Did he give up? Edison refused to admit defeat, inquired Christian. He continued without sleep for two days and nights. Finally, he managed to slip one of the carbonized threads into vacuum-sealed bulb, and he turned on the current and, quote, they could even use their eyesight. 
was able to see within his heart before he was able to see with his eyes what it was that he was called to do. And so now here's Nehemiah who is using, as we might use Paul's expression, the eyes of the heart at this point. And so in the midst of the night when nobody else is engaged, there's evaluation before there's communication. I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. He's got his quite concentric circle. And then I told no one what my God, and as you realize it was not a gift, put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And so to reemphasize this, as I went out by night by the valley gate through the dragon spring, through the dung gate, and then to the sense once again of appraisal, of assessment, of evaluation, I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And this had been for some time, you see, but oftentimes a populace can become contemptible. Should we say in their situation, complacent? They had become comfortable with the situation at hand. But the dangers in Jerusalem at this point is that there are growing oppositional forces that would threaten the ministry, and what they needed was a quality facility. Nehemiah understood those dangers, and I believe anyone else would. And so he says in 14, I went out to the fountain gate to the king's pool. But now he's noticing the constricted movements that are involved in this matter of facility. It's hard to get around. There's limitation here. No room for the animal that I was that was under me to pass. Now to reemphasize the time of the day in which we are we are we are located here. In fifteen I went up in the night by the valley, inspected the wall, I turned back, entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And then once again, because he's using concentric circles of communication, because he begins with evaluation before he shifts outward towards communication officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing here. You see, there was something internal before there was something external. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the household of Judah. Notice the last words. The rest who were the situation, evaluating the situation, understanding the situation. He is managing this time effectively, even though there's a process involved. Napoleon's former landlady, notice how he would stay up night after night after night. She was trying to get him out and about to expand and explore the dynamics of life. Later on, in time marched on, he was no longer with her. She was absent. She Biblical manager, 
likewise, I see that in our master plan team, they've been biblical managers of funds, carefully, strategically over course of years, thinking, evaluating, collectively drawing inputs, convergence of ministry and fertility, seeking God's hand and God's timing for God's glory. notice here again how God's hand is involved in not only the needs that are assessed in 11 through 16, but secondly the vision that's imparted in 17 to the first part of 18. He now reaches a point where he moves from evaluation to communication. He does not see them as synonymous. So then I said to them, now he gets vision. And now population, if you study historically, of those that would be hostile to the Jewish movement in that region. You see the trouble we are in and how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. They're vulnerable, you see. And so he issues now in a visionary challenging manner, come, action verbs, come. But then there's a collective sense of the challenge. Let us build says this after he's used this uh, expression about the city. Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem. And then he gives a reason why. Because he understands the hostilities of derision today that will lead to the hostilities of attacks tomorrow are from the derision. He's concerned about them. Charles Coleman, the great missionary of another era, Biography tells us he was a man of vision. Throughout his life, he seemed to see what the crowd did not see. To see wider, fuller than many of his own day. He was a man of far horizons, the biography tells us. And then there was Douglas Thornton of Egypt. And Mr. Bayless, the senior missionary, remarked, Thornton, you're so different anyone else. They operate on the basis of eyesight. They operate on the basis of yesterday and today. You operate on foresight. You operate on the basis of tomorrow. Nehemiah has to deal with a minimal population of some 40,000 plus people. And they could be those within Israel right now. They're saying, why didn't the other Jews come back from Babylon and assist in this matter? They're comfortable there in that, in that setting far removed from the hostilities we are surrounded by. But Nehemiah is driven by foresight. And he can see what others can't see. And as a result, as the walls are rebuilt, and eventually as the ministries, as a result, are continuously to flourish, the temporal ministries will be indicators to that time when the ultimate sacrifice will be made and Jesus Christ will enter through those walls of Jerusalem, subsequently to die on the 
fulfillment or understanding. But then I want you to notice here how this visionary goes about imparting the vision. In verse 18, And I told him of the hand of my God that had been upon me for him. Life is a battleground. Not a playground. But it's in the battles of life that the hand of God is experienced. Courtney Bed say understands that in writing about the protective hand of God during a time of warfare in Iraq. We exchanged shots suddenly the BMW careened out of control toward the Humvee where I was crouched. I could see the driver slumped over the steering wheel. Knew I only had seconds to make a decision. My heart was pounding. I couldn't even form prayers that were racing in my mind. I ran to the front of the vehicle just before the car slammed into the very place I had been in just a second before. We were told we'd have to transfer the wounded in our own vehicle. And in the background, completely incongruent with the battle I was facing, I could hear the droning of Muslim prayer chants over the loudspeakers. She considers the gunfire. She considers the blood that is just trickling down from her own body. I stepped out of the truck, rocked, shaking to my knees, thanking God for his love. In retrospect, she writes, and after this encounter, my faith took on a deeper and more personal perspective. I had felt the protective hand of God as we returned to our base then. understand that for all hands on deck, you've got to make absolutely certain that God's hand is involved. The needs are assessed in 11 through 16. The vision is imparted. But notice how it begins. It begins with the hand of my God that have been upon me for good. And then he adds, and this is not incidental, there is a reason for this, and this is leadership savvy at this point. He adds, and also the words that Ballot before and I to buy the Ammonite civic Geshem Arab prepared a bit. They jeered at us, despised us, said, What's this thing you're doing? And now, so savvy he was to talk about being credentialed by the king. The 
people the king card. Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah has already said in proclamation, I can present you five kings. He has already anticipated the opposition of Peter's two days. standing in Florence, Italy, a stone had been overlooked by a great sculptor named Antonio. He thought that nothing could be done with that piece of marble. But later on one day, there was a Michelangelo who saw that changed stone, saw possibilities, brought it to his studio, began to work on it, and ultimately his vision, his work was crowned with success. It's known as the David. And to this day, if you are out in the streets of Florence, got to stand in line as people will continuously want to have a, a picture uh, to be able to reflect upon of that incredible masterpiece devised by the hands of one who saw what others did not see. They overlooked that marble. He oversaw the work of that marble. It's now all hands on deck as you go back to that excited to put before you today the, uh, the next steps in the master plan. It's going to be a lot of fun for you to see it. I want to give you a little history even as uh, 
Eric and Jean and Jeff are coming forward to join me on the stage. Eric uh, Bruin is the master plan chairman, and Jean Becker is the deacon board chairman, and Jeff Mack is the elder board chairman. So uh, we've been working in lockstep with one another, unified and unanimous on uh, this project. We're excited for it. The last 10, 15 years, we've been looking at different options. One of the options is even to move the whole church to another location. So we looked at various properties and that, that kind of thing. And the reason is because of the way the building is laid out, um, especially in these crazy Wisconsin winters. We, we have a worship center in one room, and then we need to have fellowship in another room. And right now, that's not possible. You get out into this narrow uh, hallway or that narrow hallway, and if you're like me, a lot of times you find yourself getting your coat, and then there's a group of people, and you find yourself pushed down the hallway, and you find yourself in the parking lot, and you find yourself driving off before maybe you're even ready to drive off. And uh, so what we want to do is address some of those needs. And so we've come to the conviction that rather than move somewhere else, which is going to be cost prohibitive, we would stay here and make this facility as much as it can be for God's glory. And so we've, uh, we want to tell the excellent deeds of the Lord to the, to the next generation. And by the way, you're part of a church that's done that many times. In the 40s, a youth center was built to reach the, the children's needs in, in Sheboygan County. Of course, one of the sea words that Sheboygan County is known for, you, you know that they're they make the chairs and the churches and all that kind of stuff. And one of them is children, and still is. There's children everywhere. We want to minister to them. Um, in the 1970s, uh, we moved into this facility, not this room, but uh, to the MTR, or excuse me, to the sanctuary center. And it was a big move, and more room was needed. And then this room built in the 80s, and this concept of 19 below. Myself and my wife Nikki came and worked with all, many, many of you in Awana and student ministries to meet the needs of children and youth in Sheboygan County. And praise God for what He's been doing and is doing here with, with that. And I can tell you stories of so many different people. I have their names written down here. Some are on the mission field, some are in full time ministry, some are faithful ministers of the gospel in Sheboygan County, uh, husbands, wives, singles. So thankful for what God's done in and through the faithfulness. And so, as we look ahead and we see some of these slides here, we, the purpose of this whole thing is that we want to uh, multiply committed followers of Jesus Christ. That has always been the uh, driving force of this congregation and will continue to be the driving force. And what we're seeing is that we have some limitations or hurdles that are kind of getting in our way. Early be at best. And so as we look at the, the next slide, um, we see that uh, over the last five, six, seven years, the Lord has provided property. And once we decided that we were going to stay in this place in 2011, it's like that internal reality that, that Gary was just talking about, the Lord started providing for us. And so you see the red property there, that, that was owned for generations by the Quashes family. And the way that it became available for sale, and they approached us, and would you consider purchase? Uh, it's an amazing, miraculous story that he provided that entire block of, you know, in one purchase. If you look at the yellow properties, uh, I apologize that it appears that we own them all. We don't. So 
But of the eight properties down there, we're dealing six by God's grace already. And we just need two more. So we're asking the Lord to provide those last two pieces of property there. And you can see then it becomes, as you look at the next slide, a campus uh, expansion over this area. That's what we desire to do. Stay here, but expand the campus. And uh, then if you look at the next slide, here are the things we think will help us reach Sheboygan County best. If we can strengthen our hospitality, including a welcome center, a place where we can gather between and after services, if we can strengthen our identity, the idea of parking, we have more and more in Sheboygan County, 116,000 people, more and more people that won't walk far in the cold Wisconsin winters. We need parking that's close to the building. And uh, that, that helps us to, to, again, facilitate ministry here. A new sanctuary, as great as this room has been, and we may continue to use it in some respects. Uh, this room was sort of a proof of concept several years ago, and we would like there to be a, a, a sanctuary that we or a welcome center we can all meet in. And uh, I believe one of the keys of this is certainly the secure children's ministry space where we will have our children in a place that's uh, it's not locked downable. It's, it's definitely cordoned off, and you, you can't get in there without permission. Uh, we certainly live in a time in our culture that um, the, the needs of young families and certainly children need to be high on our priority list. So we want to have a place where our children can go learn about Jesus and be in a safe environment where uh, you know if something were to, were to happen on a Sunday. And then we, the idea of a flexible education space is just this, that we're seeing more and more decentralized ministry. That just means this. Tuesday night, people will meet in smaller groups, and we don't always meet in homes. And so having spaces that on Tuesday at 11 o'clock could be a Bible study, Tuesday at 1 o'clock could be a food pantry, and Tuesday at 7 o'clock could be uh, you know, Financial Peace University or something like that. Those flexible rooms is what we are aiming to So with that in mind, uh, we're going to ask Gene Becker to come and kind of flesh out a little bit more uh, about what it's going to actually look like. Good morning. My name is Gene Becker, and I have the honor and privilege to serve as the Deacon Board Chairman at this time. And um, I'm going to present a fly-through. We're going to kind of fly through this new building, kind of like a drone. So you're going to get to see what it's going to look like. Um, and the master plan team, um, we asked Station 19, our architects, to create a vision, a visual representation of what the building should look like. The visual representation gives you, will give you, an idea of the space. Please keep in mind that the architect who designed it, the fly-through, chose the color scheme, chose the furniture, chose the lighting to give you a view of the visual space. Those decisions are not final. So as we watch this, as we get to that point, I'll show it to you in a minute. Um, please keep that in mind. If we move to uh, the drawing, I want to point out a few things to you. Can everybody see or am I in your way? I'm in your way. Uh, 
hope my hope keeper. All right, I'll move down. Does this help? Okay. Um, I'm going to give you a few reference points and points of orientation. So this gray area really means that we're not doing much work today, very little. The white area, all of this space, is either being remodeled or it's a new addition, okay, depending where you are. So give us some points of reference. This here is where our current entrance is to the office. This is the entrance that would take you out to the parking lot uh, that we're in the process of building to our west. This is a new entrance that would be added onto the building and it would take us out to the south area of the <coughs> church in the neighborhood right now. And the location of that, if you're in the sanctuary, would be located about where the banners are on the sanctuary wall. So if you go there later, where those banners are is about where that would end up being. This here would be the front entrance. Right now, the front entrance would be about here. And then the sanctuary would be in this section right here. So you can see a lot of remodeling going on. And then this would be the new part of the sanctuary, the new auditorium or worship center. I think with that, why don't we um, go to the next slide? This is a visual representation of the lower level. Once again, the gray is not having any work done. The point of reference here is a secure children's room. A tech room where uh, our tech people will be very happy. It's in the middle of the church. It is in the lower level, but provides the best access. We also have relocated the stairs and relocated the elevator. This outline right here is what the upper floor would be. That area is not a basement. Okay. So with that, why don't we go to the video. The first couple of seconds of the video you will see um, the current building.
Jesus. Since almost everybody in this room has only seen this now once, we're going to go through this again um, and I'll give a little commentary. Um, but thanks to you taking note of this. Please be aware, this will be available on the website, our website, this afternoon. So you can um, look at it this afternoon as many times as you would like. Um, so with that, why don't we go ahead and start. <coughs> One of the things you'll notice as the video starts is that there's a real curvature to the front of the building and a lot of natural lighting. The curvature really focuses in on people coming from the columnette to invite them in. On the south side of the building, we've added windows here, giving a lot more, more visual lighting. The cross is positioned so that it invites people from the columnette corridor. I think this is Bill and Lori Hort coming into the office. This is one of our youth taking a phone call. Funny they're not texting. As we come into the Welcome Center, you'll notice we're, we're going to do what we can to raise the ceiling level, but this is mostly remodeled area. You'll also notice the cafe off to the side here, coffee and the change in the entrance to the multi-purpose room. Larger expanded bathroom. This is the doorway that goes to the parking lot to our left. Secure children's area. And as we come back around and go into the sanctuary, you'll notice a slight slope to the sanctuary floor. Not all of it is sloped, and that allows for more flexibility. Off to the left, you'll notice a lot of uh, natural lighting. Choir area to the front, as well as a band area. And this is a picture of Gary without his beard. Off to the right, you will have a green room area, which allows access to the stage without being seen. Audio visual projection area. Multi, uh, I should say, flexible meeting room areas. And as we swing around, you'll get a glimpse of the stairwell, which then leads to elevators and access to the office. I think with that, and if we keep keeping track of time, I'll turn it over to Aaron. Dean, so I, I'm Eric Lewin, uh, chairman of the Master Plan team. So Dean and Pastor John shared with you the what and the why behind the Master Plan, which leads me to the how, uh, or in this case specifically, how much. Uh, as you can see in this slide, in today's dollars, the estimated cost of the Master Plan, as shown in the design, is $8.5 million. Now this is a best guess of the cost that we have at this time cost number won't be known until the final building plans are completed and the contractors estimate their bids. I'm hopeful, as we all are, that when all is said and done, that the final project cost will indeed be lower than this. But uh, let's take a look at, brief look at the breakdown of the estimated project cost. Uh, we've highlighted the existing building remodeling costs, which address the key facility needs related to Welcome Center, secure children's area, and flexible ministry rooms. 
cost, we see this to be at $2.8 million. Uh, the other major construction cost, approximately $3 million, is related to new construction, which addresses the sanctuary key facility need uh, and also incorporates a sizable area of the Welcome Center. In addition, we see costs broken out for fire suppression and elevator, uh, parking areas east of the church, and entrance canopies and signage. The estimated cost of all these items mentioned thus far is $6.5 million. Um, and that is what we refer to as the base construction cost. To this number, we feel prudent to factor in a contingency for unexpected costs of 10%, or $650,000 in, in our case. By God's grace, we hope not to incur that much uh, unexpected cost. But considering the scope of our project, if we err at all in our budgeting, we want it to be on the conservative side. Gives us a total construction cost estimate of $7.15 million. To this, we add $1.35 million for everything that goes into the new facility in the form of furnishings, equipment, and fees that are paid throughout the process, resulting in our total project cost of $8.5 million. So, $8.5 million is a big number, no doubt. Uh, it's a big number for me, it's a big number for you, but it's not a big number for our guys we have the means as a church family, but it will require the will of faith and sacrifice from all of us. This is an opportunity to create a tool, a building that will serve the needs of our church family in ministering to our city, county, and beyond for the next 25 plus years. The building project, one that fully meets the five key facility elements right now at a single point in time, is going to be more cost-effective, efficient, and ultimately creates less disruption than doing multiple remodel or expansion projects over many years. We have seen the hand of God move in many ways throughout the years, and most certainly during this master plan process leading us up to today. I, for one, can't wait to witness the ways he moves amongst us going forward to make this facility vision, this master plan, Eric. So this morning we've heard from Pastor Gary how the hand of God led Nehemiah back in his day. And then we had this presentation from the master plan team or the master plan conference. Tonight, at the Body Life Update, the presentation will continue for more detail, some specifics about how the hand of God has led us in the development of this master plan. Then we'll ask the church members for a vote of affirmation that this plan is the direction that God is leading us to provide the facilities for our future ministry opportunities. The vote of affirmation will be by ballot. A yes vote means we will continue this path, including the generosity campaign whereby God will provide us the funds necessary. As we proceed, the master plan team finance committee, the deacon board, the elder board will continue to follow God's leading and his timing, seeking his wisdom to make financially responsible decisions. A yes vote also means we will continue to pray for the plan, pray for those involved in decision making, and 
also pray for God's provision of necessary funds without impacting our current ministry. Thank you. Thank you all your time. Father, we're thanking you now for who you are. Thanking you, Father, for what you've done. Thanking you that most significantly you would take the vision of a man like Nehemiah, as well as others, and continue to pave the way to the point in which Jesus Christ would be able to enter through the walls of Jerusalem into your area of the temple, eventually to die on the cross to save us Father, help us to understand the biblical concept of financial planning globally, scripturally, personally. Apply it in such a way where we see the hand of God at work. And Father, with all hands on deck now, we give glory and honor to you. And for this we give you praise. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Printed copies of the master plan are available as you exit. The ushers will hand those to you. Thank you.